Well, what is up, Element Church? After Jesus, I think the second most important part of this weekend, we've been building up for the last several weeks, football is officially back. Yes, life can move on. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today uh, that coincides with opening weekend of NFL football called Don't Be a Fan. And if you're new here, uh, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. Just so thankful that you are here along with everyone else today as well. That includes those of you who are joining us on a video screen somewhere here in Cheyenne, around the world. So glad you're with us as well. And before we jump into uh, uh, this new series today, I want to tell you about an exciting change that is happening in our Fusion student ministry. If you don't know, Fusion is our youth ministry uh, that serves 6th through 12th graders from our church and from our community. And for the last several years, uh, that group of 6th to 12th graders has been meeting as one group on Wednesday nights. Uh, but God has blessed us with a great problem, and that's too many, student, too many students are coming on one night. So we're going to divide it into two nights. Yeah, that's awesome. And so starting this Tuesday, September 13th, uh, that will be the night for junior high students, 6th through 8th grade. And the doors open at 6 p.m. The worship service starts at 7, doors close at 8.30. And then Wednesday night will be for our senior high students, 9th grade through 12th grade, doors open at 6, they close at 8.30. And in our home, in my family, we have two students in junior high and one in senior high. And so I understand the, the minor inconvenience it is to now have two nights if you have to bring your students on two different nights. But I also understand the incredible opportunity we have to minister to those students now in a unique way on an individual level. I'm a former youth pastor, and so I know what it's like trying to preach a sermon, let's say on relationships, to a sixth grader and a twelfth grader in the same room. It's next to impossible. And so now we get to multiply those groups into two and speak into our senior high students and speak into our junior high students. I'm super excited about it. We have a great youth ministry, great youth pastor and volunteers. Can't wait to see what God does there. That starts this Tuesday, junior high, Wednesday, senior high. Now, if you happen to be new today, I would tell you that we don't normally wear sports gear to church, but I'd be lying because we take every chance we get to support our teams around here. So let's take a, uh, just a quick poll today, uh, kind of demographic survey. Where are all my Bronco fans at? Yeah. Congratulations to you all on the great win Thursday night. I think you may have found a quarterback for a few bad throws. He's gonna, you now know what a forward pass again looks like. That's been good. So uh, congratulations to you. Um, I've been giving this group of fans a hard time recently, so I want to give you a chance to stand up for yourself if you're here. Uh, where's my Raider fans at? Couple, yeah, a couple, couple Raider fans. All right. Uh, we do love you because the Bible says we should love the unlovable. And so we do love you. I would ask where the Patriot fans are at, but I don't want God to strike us with lightning, so I won't do that. Um, what? <laughs> I saw your jersey. That's why I said that. Um, so let's go to college. Uh, where's my UW Wyoming fans at? Yes. Got a win two weekends ago. They, they showed up pretty well for most of the game yesterday. We're hoping for some, some more wins this, way, this, this year. Uh, and I'm going to give a shout out to my people. Any Sooner fans here today? Yes! I'm Sooner born and Sooner bred, and when I die, I'll be Sooner dead. That's what I am. I am a Sooner fan. Does anyone here not care about sports at all? Anyone? Okay. 
If you're around one of those people, would you lay your hands on them and pray for them in the name of Jesus that God would heal their hearts and restore their souls? Like if you are a a fan of a team, it's a big, big deal, right? And when I say fan, I'm not talking about all the new people wearing Broncos gear who weren't wearing it last year. I'm talking about true fans, right? Bronco fans that have been faithful since 1998, the last time the Broncos won a Super Bowl with John Elway. I'm talking about Browns fans and Vikings fans and Lions fans who have been faithful ever since the last time they won a Super Bowl. Oh, wait, they've never won one. My bad. Like when you're a fan, your team is a big, big deal. You plan your entire weekend around when game time is. You read the articles and listen to the radio. You, you know the roster. Uh, maybe you're a superstitious fan like me. Like I, I truly, I will change my clothes in the middle of a game to try to reverse the bad mojo my other clothes put on the team. If I stand up and they start doing good, I will stay standing until they start doing bad. Like we are passionate about our sports teams, but as passionate as we are as fans, we are also incredibly fickle, are we not? Like we are fickle fans. Like if you watch an NFL game today or just watch the games in general, every stadium in the NFL today, every stadium will be filled to the brim with fans and their optimism is high. Every seat taken, every heart optimistic that this could be our year. But if you tune in to NFL games about six weeks from now, Some of those same stadiums that were filled to capacity with ravenous fans will start to look more like our bleachers here with just one fan sitting in them, which by the way, I don't know why we gave our mannequin an Atlanta Falcons jersey, but it works out well because that's about how many fans they'll have at the end of the year in the stadium. (laughs) I got them all day long, folks. I got them. Why, why will stadiums have less and less people in them by the end of the year? Because as fans, when our team doesn't give us what we think they should give us, we just kind of let them go their own way. So a couple of years ago, I took my son Jonah to his first ever Oklahoma football game in person. Okay, it was at Norman, Oklahoma. Got a picture of us there inside the stadium. We were way up in the nosebleeds, but it didn't matter. We were inside the stadium. And this wasn't just any game. This was a rivalry game between OU and our in-state rival, Oklahoma State University. And I was so excited uh, for my son to experience for the first time, firsthand, Oklahoma football. So we got to the stadium early. The place was just absolutely electric. We took in all the and the sounds and the smells of college football. The game, the game kicked off, and not too far into the game, we were down by double digits, by more than two scores in the game, and it just wasn't looking good for our team. And I had already, as a fan, started to give up on our chances to win that game. So partway through the third quarter, we had not made up any ground. We would score that they would score to keep it a two-score game. So partway through the third quarter, I turned to my son and said what my dad always said, to me. I said, Jonah, there's just way too many points and not enough time for us to make this up. And we're not going to win. Do you just want to go home? We had a two hour drive back to my in-laws house there in Oklahoma. And he being the true fan that he's a way better fan than me, even today, he's like, no, I want to stick it out all the way to the, to the bitter end. So the fourth quarter, probably three quarters of the way uh, through the fourth quarter, we still had not made up any point differential. We would score, but they would score again. And it was obvious, like it was clear we were not going to
to win the game. So I turned to my son again and said, Joni, do you want to just, let's just, they're not going to win. Like too many points, not enough time. Let's just go. But no, dad, we're going to stick it out to the very end. And a punt return for a touchdown later, a defensive stop, and then another touchdown with four seconds left in the game to tie it. And we were into overtime. Now I'm glad I stayed. So the first possession, first possession of overtime, Oklahoma State gets the ball first. College football overtime rules are so weird, but Oklahoma State gets the ball 25-yard line. They kick a field goal, so they're up 3-0. Now OU has a chance to either tie the game or win it with a touchdown. Second play of the overtime, our first possession in overtime, we hand the ball off to running back Brennan Clay, who I believe is on the Broncos roster today, former OU player, hand the ball off to him, and this is what we got to experience. Maybe. The side of the stunned Oklahoma State Cowboy never gets old to me. So, like pandemonium broke out in the stadium when Brennan Clay ran that ball in. And here I was, a few moments earlier, giving up on my team, ready to leave the game. And now the next moment, I was literally jumping up and down, screaming my lungs out, hugging a grown man in my section who I never met before in my life. Thus is the life of a fan, right? Like we are all in one moment and we are all out the next. My fear is, church, that's how we too often live out our faith. Like when things are going well, we are all in with Jesus. No matter what he wants, no matter what he needs, I've got my Jesus gear on and I'm ready to change the world. But when things don't go well, he asks us to do something we don't want to do, go somewhere we don't want to go, change something we don't want to change, give something we don't want to give, or maybe Jesus allows something to happen in our lives that we don't think we should have to go through. We might say we believe in all, but we don't want to follow anymore. We are fans of Jesus at best. One of the definitions of fan in the dictionary is this, enthusiastic admirer. Does that not describe many self-professing Christians today? We're just enthusiastic admirers. In his book, Not a Fan, which the series is not, you may have read the book, it's a great book, it's not, the series is not based on the book, but I did read the book in preparation for the series. I would highly recommend it. Uh, I thought we had some in our store, we used to, but we didn't, we don't. So we're going to order some Not a Fan books. But in his book, Not a Fan, I'm going to reference it a couple times in this sermon today. Kyle Eidelman, the author, says this, I think Jesus has a lot of fans these days. Fans who cheer for him when things are going well, but who walk away when it's, when it's a difficult season. Fans who sit safely in the stands cheering, but they know nothing of the sacrifice and pain of the field. Fans of Jesus know all about him, but they don't know him. Whoa. So listen, you might be here today. 
Maybe you're watching or listening online. And not only are you not a follower of Jesus, but you've never even put your faith, you never even started to put your faith in Jesus, and I am so glad you are here. And before you start thinking that this sermon or this series won't apply to you or won't mean anything to you, I actually think there couldn't be a better series for you to be a part of than this one, and here's why. Because as a church, not specifically Element Church, but we're included in this, as God's church in general, as Christians, as pastors, and I am one, I think sometimes we haven't presented the whole truth when teaching people about putting their faith in Jesus. Like as a church, we are great at calling people to believe in Jesus, but we've done a poor job explaining what it means to follow him. And the two are not mutually exclusive. They go together. So in this series, I'm going to do my best, and it's going to be a three-week-long series, so in three weeks, do my best to kind of lay out what it means to truly follow Jesus. And if you don't believe, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you get to hear the expectation before you ever decide whether or not to put your faith in him, and that's huge. It's the difference maker between fans of Jesus and followers of him, because if you put your faith in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, you will eventually become nothing more than a fan of Jesus. Now listen, don't misunderstand. Faith is vital in our relationship with Jesus. But here's the big idea, okay, uh, for today. It's on the screen if you want to write it down, and hopefully this will help drive this down into our hearts. Faith in Jesus, without a commitment to follow him, will always lead you to becoming a fan. Faith in Jesus, without a commitment to follow him, will always lead you to becoming a fan. So if we need to follow Jesus, not just put our faith in him, I think we need to answer this big question, what does it take to truly follow Jesus? What does it take to truly follow Jesus? Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. If you didn't bring your own Bible, you can follow along on the screens, or there's a free Bible app called YouVersion. You can follow along there as well. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, I would love for you to read this on your own today or tomorrow. So stop by guest services, and we'll give you a Bible free of charge. Just ask for one there. Every week in the series, we're going to look at the recorded words of Jesus. So Matthew, the guy who wrote this letter in the Bible, he was one of the 12 disciples. So he would have seen and heard what Jesus said, and he records these words. We're going to go straight to the source, Jesus, about what it means to follow him. And here in Matthew 16, at this point in the story, Jesus would have been well into his earthly ministry. And so the disciples would have seen uh, him perform countless miracles, heard dozens upon dozens of teachings in the preceding verses in Matthew 16. Like if you read the verses right before it, Jesus actually confirms what the disciples already believed, that he was indeed the Messiah from God. So Matthew 16, starting in verse 21, says this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. 
But Peter, okay, if you know anything about Peter in the Bible, this is not surprising. Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Like, isn't this a total fan thing to do right here? Like for us guys in the room or ladies who also play fantasy football, we often think because we do well in fantasy football, we'd make a better GM than John Elway. Like it's a total fan thing to do right here. Peter hears the plan of Jesus pulls him aside and says this, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Or in other words, Peter is saying, I won't let you die. I won't let you die. Faith in Jesus without a commitment to follow him always leads us to becoming a fan. So what does it take to truly follow Jesus? Three things we'll see in this passage. Number one is this, I need a change in my priorities. I need a change in my priorities. Now, why? Why would Peter pull Jesus aside and reprimand him? I already told you in the preceding verses, Jesus confirmed to the disciples uh, what they already believed, that he was indeed the Messiah. I encourage you to read it on your own sometime today or this week. Just go to the verses right before our main scripture here. But I'll tell you what happens. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And their response was, some say you are uh, John the Baptist or Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the other prophets because there was actually Jewish people who believed that Jesus was a reincarnated or resurrected form of one of the old prophets of God. Then Jesus turned the tables and says, but who do you say I am? Which, by the way, is a question every one of us eventually has to answer. Who do I say Jesus is? Our answer determines a lot in our lives. That Peter, the same Peter who pulled Jesus aside to reprimand him, Peter responded with, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus confirmed that statement that Peter made. So here's why that's important to this whole discussion on changing our priorities. And here's why I believe Peter felt he needed to reprimand Jesus for saying he was going to die. When a Jewish person, and all the disciples were Jewish by birth and by faith, when a Jewish person heard the word or used the word Messiah, they immediately thought royalty, kings and kingdoms. And that is because for hundreds of years, the prophets of God were foretelling about this Messiah that God was going to send to rescue or save the people of Israel, and he would be in the line of King David. So naturally, when a Jewish person uh, heard the word Messiah, they were waiting for a political savior, someone who is coming to overthrow the Roman government, sit on the throne of King David, and reign on the earth forever and ever. That's what the Jewish people were expecting to happen. So here's Peter, and he's one of Jesus's three closest friends. Everywhere Jesus went, if he didn't take all the disciples, he always chose Peter, James, and John. So Peter was on the inner circle of Jesus. So for Peter, that meant When Jesus overthrew the Roman government and took over the throne of King David, he would be right up there with Jesus in the royal court, which meant for him position, power, and pleasure, and prestige. 
So when he heard Jesus say, I'm going to die, I don't believe Peter was that concerned with the death of Jesus. I think Peter was more concerned with the death of his hopes and dreams. Perhaps being a part of the inner circle, he was more afraid of the fact that if Jesus died, he would have to die too. That Peter was so clouded by his own priorities, his lust and thirst for power and position and pleasure and prestige, that when those things were threatened in his life, he completely missed out on hearing the plan of God. Because notice and remember, Jesus said he was going to die, but what else did he say? In three days, I will be raised from the dead. But Peter was so upset so upset that he was about to lose out on a few earthly pleasures that in the process he was in danger of losing out on his own eternity. Hello. Kyle Eidelman in the book, Not a Fan, puts it this way. Fans are happy to follow Jesus as long as that doesn't require any significant changes or have negative implications. If you want to truly follow Jesus, you need a change. I need, I'll use me, I need a change in my priorities. That God, it's your plan, not mine. That God, in my life, may you use my life for your good and your gain and your glory. Because church, at some point, following Jesus will affect our position in life. It will affect our power in life. It will affect our pleasures in life. And it will affect our prestige in this life. That's why faith in Jesus without a commitment to follow him always leads to becoming a fan. I won't let you die, Peter said. Why? Because it affects my priorities in life. So what does it take to truly follow Jesus? I've got to change my priorities then look at what Jesus says here in response to Peter, Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, homie, say what? That's what I want. That's, what, that's the Jeff Manis version, by the way. But here's what Peter, here's what Jesus actually said. Get away from me, Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm confident Jesus has been upset with me at some point in my life. I don't think he's ever called me Satan. Like, this is a big deal. Like if the disciples are anything like our staff around here at Element, I wonder how many times the disciples asked Peter, hey, remember that time Jesus calls you Satan? <laughs> Get away from me, Satan, says this. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things, look, merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So here's the second thing it takes to truly follow Jesus. Number two is this. I need a change in my perspective. I need a change in my perspective, my point of view. Perspective changes everything, does it not? Like I'm not, I'm really not intending to, to pick on Vikings or Viking fans right now, but when Teddy Bridgewater went down a few weeks ago, did their perspective on the season change? You better believe it did. Like perspective changes everything. So it's been over a year ago now, but uh, I was ending my day here at the office like I often do uh, by going out for a run before I head home to my family. And I was out running, I was maybe a half a mile away from the church, running down one of the main roads here in Cheyenne. Um, it's, um, 
what's the road over the main road over here is now I just lost it not Yellowstone but Powderhouse Road it's running down Powderhouse Road about a half mile here from the church when I saw uh, who I thought was Pastor Jared driving up the road toward me and I didn't even cross my mind that it couldn't be Pastor Jared because I didn't think anybody else in town drove a car like Jared's uh, not that his car was so nice quite the opposite he drove a 1996 sun faded green Subaru Legacy with smoke that came out the back. And it was a legacy to drive that car. You know what I'm saying? So I'm running down the road. I see this sun-faded green car driving towards me. And I thought, uh, I'm going to give Jared just a little bit of a smile today on his way home. So as the car gets closer, I changed my normal running motion and go into something like this. (laughs) You see what's coming. That's when I realized either that's not Jared or Jared has drastically changed within the last hour that I saw him. Because as it got closer, it wasn't Jared at all. There was some dude leaning back in the car like he was in a tricked-out sports car, just had unkept hair, a tattered T-shirt. As far as I knew, Jared didn't smoke, but a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And I'm like, oh, crap, I am an idiot. So I stopped doing my crazy wave thing and just go back to running. Like, it's one of these days that dude's coming to church and say, I saw you acting a fool out on the road. My perspective changed everything, right? Like in the moment, my point of view determined the priorities of how I was going to live my life in that moment. Reminds me of Colossians 3. From the Bible, chapter verses 1 through 3 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, since you've put your faith in Christ, set your sights, your perspective, on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, God's point of view, not the things of earth, human point of view. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Peter, you're thinking about things from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. So set your sights on the realities of heaven. You need a perspective change. So faith in Jesus without a commitment to follow him always leads to becoming a fan. So what does it take to truly follow Jesus? I've got to change my priorities, and I believe that happens when I change my perspective. So then look at what Jesus says here to close out this section. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you, what's the word? Must. Not you should. Not try really, really hard. Not have good intentions. If you want to be my follower, this is Jesus, you must give up your own way. It's a priority change. Take up your cross. That's a perspective change. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul, Peter? Wow. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Jesus said that. So what does it take to truly follow Jesus? Number three is this. I need a change in my purpose. 
I need a change in my purpose. Now, I love this. Check out how this progression works out here. That in order to truly follow Jesus, I need a change in my priorities. But I believe that my priorities will only change when my perspective changes. And my perspective will change when my purpose changes. And my purpose will only change when I start following Jesus. It all weaves together. If any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus said, not my believers, not my fans, not my cheering section, but my follower, you must give up your own way, change your priorities, take up your cross, change your perspective, and follow me. Change your purpose. If, you try to, if you'll give up your life, he says, you'll save it. If you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. About two months ago, when I started working on this message, I put into my notes to use Acts 20.24 as we kind of winded down the service here. And Acts 20.24 is a verse that I've tried to put to memory. It's a powerful verse. It's from the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul, if you don't know, uh, he wasn't always an apostle. Uh, He was originally a guy who thought he was doing God a favor as one of the Jewish religious leaders of the day to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. So he literally was on a mission to arrest, persecute, and or kill Christians, thinking he was doing God a service. Well, one day on a road to a new town on a mission to arrest and kill more Christians, Jesus appeared to Paul. Paul surrenders his life to Jesus, and instead of now being a murderer of Christians, he becomes a missionary for Jesus and gives his life to reaching people for this guy that he once hated, Jesus. So here in Acts 20, he's kind of been years into his ministry, towards the end actually, and he says these words to his fellow Christian brothers and sisters, Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth nothing to me. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me the work of telling others the wonder about the wonderful grace of God. It's a powerful statement, but it's a fan statement if you think about it. Because as fans, it's very easy to say, I'm all in with Jesus. My life's worth nothing until hard time comes. Then all of a sudden, my life's worth a whole lot more than I thought. So as I'm finalizing my sermon on Wednesday, God reminds me of the verses before verse 24. It's actually the verses before verse 24 that makes what Paul said a follower statement, not a fan statement. So look at this, Acts 20, 22 through 24. And now, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. That jail and suffering are what my life is going to be from now until I die then this verse, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You know what that sounds like? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world 
but lose your soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? And friends, the answer is no. No. Do you know how I know the answer is no? That there's nothing worth more than your soul? Because God came as Jesus and died in your place. The highest price imaginable was paid for your soul. Therefore, nothing is worth more than your soul. Faith in Jesus without the commitment to follow him always leads us to becoming a fan. So what does it take to follow him? And a change in my priorities, a change in my perspective, and a change in my purpose that my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for following Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes if you do that today. Perhaps, perhaps you're here today and you are one of those people who you came into this place not putting your faith in Jesus, not committed to following him. But now you've heard a message about what it means to follow Jesus. You've heard me talk about a price that was paid for your soul. And you know right now in this moment, it is a time for a decision to follow Jesus. That decision starts by putting your faith in the sacrifice Jesus made for you, but it doesn't stop there. It continues with a commitment to follow him. And so if that's you, if you are here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus and commit yourself to following him, I want you to say this prayer with me. Just silently say it out, say it silently in your heart to God. Say this, Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus, that he died in my place and he is the only way for me to be saved so i give my life to you jesus i believe you are the messiah the son of the living god i confess all my sins to you please forgive me of everything i've done wash me clean make me new come into my life i'm committing to you that i will leave and turn from my old life of sin, and I will do my best to follow you. Please help me follow you. My life's worth nothing to me without you. Thanks for loving me. I will do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now look, you can look around. Is there anybody here today? You prayed that prayer that you would boldly say, listen, this is the easiest place you'll ever make this announcement because you're surrounded by people who love Jesus and love you. So is there anyone here today by raising your hand and leaving it up that you would say, I just prayed to commit my life to Jesus. Anybody say that by raising your hand right where you are. Praise God. Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Praise God. Amen. Praise God in the back. Awesome. Praise God. It's awesome. Yes. There's nothing more we celebrate here than that. And listen, if you raised your hand and acknowledge that we are so proud of you, your heavenly Father is proud of you. And I say this every time. It's the best decision you'll ever make, but the hardest one you will ever live. And so we've developed 
a devotional for you called 21 that will help get you taking your next steps in Jesus, will explain to you the decision that you just made. Because I understand there's a lot of confusion that can go along with it. So if you would mark on your connection card that you ask Jesus into your heart, stop by the next steps uh, or the uh, guest services area out in the lobby, ask for a next steps booklet, and we will get you one today so you can start taking your next steps in Jesus. I love you guys. Next week, we're talking about what the cost of following Jesus is. It's a great follow-up to the day that believing in Jesus is free. Following him will cost me everything. So we're talking about the cost of following Jesus. We'll look at his words again next week. Let me pray for you, then remain seated. Pastor Andrew's got some closing words. God, you're so good. Thanks for not leaving us in the dark, that, Lord, you tell us exactly what it means and what is required to follow you. Lord, I pray we'd be more than fans, that we'd be followers of you, that our life is worth nothing unless we are committed to following you. In Jesus' name, amen.